From Western Sound in ACAST Studios, this is The Score, The Bank Robber Diaries. I'm Ben Adair, and hope you're doing okay during these times. We've been trying to roll out some bonus episodes for you uh, to entertain you, give you some stuff to do while you're hunkered down, wherever you happen to be. Uh, We had, in the first bonus episode, an interview with Piper Kerman, the author of Orange is the New Black. Joe Loya was a huge influence on her as she was getting ready to write her book, which then turned into the hit Netflix TV show. Uh, And then in the last episode, we had Richard Rodriguez, who was a huge influence on Joe when he was in prison. Today, we're going to switch it up a little bit, and we're not going to talk about the story necessarily, uh, but we are going to talk a lot about the podcast and kind of what made the podcast what it was. Uh, And by that, I mean, we're going to talk specifically about the music and sound design that went into it. Here at Western Sound, when we make shows, we think a lot about how they sound, about what kind of music, how to use music, how to use other sound effects to emphasize the storytelling. And the person who really thinks the most deeply about this and was so instrumental in creating the sound of Bank Robber Diaries is Dan Leon, one of the producers on staff. So Dan is joining me now on uh, here. Dan, how are you? Hi, Ben. I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> no, normally, we'd be recording this in our studio at work, but... I am he's sitting here in my home studio. I'm going to put air quotes around my home studio because it's really just kind of like this empty room that I'm sitting in recording. Dan is not too far away, just like as the crow flies, maybe a mile or two in his own home studio. Yeah, which is comprised of several blankets and Ikea lamp, which is holding a microphone up. Um, luckily, you can't see this. That's the thing that you should be happy about, that you can't see the disaster that is my studio. <laughs> most Most people are so used to being on Zooms now and seeing the atmospheres that people live in as opposed to what they work in. But we're here on a podcast, so we can just describe whatever we want. So I should say, I'm in my home studio, which is a million, it costs a million (laughs) dollars. I have some Renaissance paintings, originals on the walls. It's really just a lovely place to make podcasts. Dan, what does your studio look like? Uh, My studio looks exactly as I just described it. But in the next room, there's a hundred people, adoring fans staying very, very silent (laughs) for this recording. But they're, they're over there, yeah. Um, anyway, I wanted to just kind of get into this because the music and sound design was so crucial to telling Joe's story. Um, I just thought we could start by looking at one of the scenes that you put together. And I know normally you would start with kind of the first thing in the podcast and say like, hey, this is, you know, us doing the very first thing, setting the tone. But uh, I wanted to just focus instead on the scene that came later in the show uh, because I, I feel like it's kind of epitomizes more what what you were trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish here. So this is a scene from episode six, which is the episode where Joe stabs his dad. And this is actually the scene where uh, Joe has stabbed his dad. He's run away. He's gone to his aunt's house. The police have come. So let's uh, give this a quick listen. So, Joe, what happened next? Cops come, they take us. And I'm calm at the police station. I'm sitting there like... You know, there's a movie where uh, Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze. Usual suspects. Usual suspects. I'm like one of those cool-ass usual suspects where I'm just sitting there. I, mean, I got almost pictured my knees, my legs crossed. And 
I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette all casual and cool because I'm not smoking a cigarette. My knees lays on cross, but I am so pumped from what happened and feeling the power of that. When you kill somebody, and for a moment, I thought my dad was dead. I killed him. That was a different power. When you do that, and you talk to people, you know, like prison, talk to people who kill people. And I had friends who would say, you know, the the only the only thing stopping that man from being dead right now? And I'd say, no one. They would say, my decision. And to be a man who that's true to, like, you know, the only thing that I'm standing, like, sitting here looking at you and say, you have no clue, but the reason you're alive is because right now I choose to not kill you. That's a powerful way to move in the world. For a moment, I could feel that. Oh, man, I'm the kind of guy who now can just say, you, you're done. You, I let you live longer. You, you're done. You know, that kind of thing. And then they, they take me to interrogate me. The police officer wants to hear my story. And as I start telling him my story, thinking that I'm telling him how I was abused and he tried to hurt us and I did it out of self-defense. And then he starts asking me questions. And very quickly, I start realizing from the kinds of questions he's asking me, like, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you call anyone? So you got the knife and you waited in bed? You have waited on your bed with it under the pillow, hiding. And I realize he's painted a picture of me of laying in wait. Because the portrait he's painting in his head is, you know, he's like, you didn't have to stab him. You could have called us. And like he's painted this as attempted murder. And I realized that sitting there, I'm smart enough to kind of get the impression that you probably beat the fuck out of your kid. And you don't want, you don't like me. You don't like what I represent. Because we ain't taking shit from people like you. And you're backing my dad's play. I just told you what he did. And he, he's not looking at me like I'm an abused kid who tried to defend himself from his father who came back for round two. But for one, when I'm sitting there telling the story about how I killed my dad, I felt like fucking King Kong. I was like, or maybe David's the better analogy. I fucking took out Goliath, right? Like I, I'm a badass. Like I can start looking at this cop like you're a fucking piece of shit for backing my dad's play. I'm starting to like recognize this maybe even starting at the, so the beginning of like, oh, you're authority figure? Fuck you. Oh, you authority figure could give, give each other cover to do shit like this to us. Fuck you. I do remember resenting the fuck out of that guy very fast. So you're sitting in the police station and you you thought that you killed your dad. Like, yeah. What, what are you feeling towards him in this moment? Some point in that, in the precinct, I learned that he was alive. Because when they went there, he wasn't there. He's not dead on the floor in there. So we do learn that. I do learn that eventually. And the adrenaline all goes away. And all of a sudden, my fucking arms and ribs, (laughs) it hurts to breathe. Because if you've ever had fractured ribs, you know, the tissue around it gets swollen. And then your lungs are pushing up again. So it's hard to breathe. I start having problems. And I explain that I'm having problems. So they take me to the doctor in the hospital. When they get to the hospital, that's when they find out all the things about me. Major concussions and fractures and bruises and all. Like, I'm a mess. I'm, I've been abused. And it's no longer attempted murder. Clearly, it's self-defense. Ooh, going back into that and just remembering that moment from the show, it's just such an important moment. 
in the story. And there's so much going on with the sound design uh, from the very beginning where we're hearing kind of the sirens, the music, the uh, kind of cacophony of what must be going on in his head to the to the very end um, where he's kind of gone through this this trial of this guy not believing him. And it's clear that uh, he's he's telling the truth. I mean, I don't even know, like how you approach this as a sound designer like what are you what are you thinking what are, when you get a when you're looking at a scene like this when you're thinking about joe's story what's sort of like the the big picture maybe we can start big picture and then kind of drill down on a few different things yeah i think um to start everything you need to answer the question of what the hell are you doing and why there's something to the ear when you're making arbitrary decisions like a listener is hearing a composer making random decisions or decisions that are just based around well this sounds cool um i think that feels like you're not really treating a story so you have to start from a decision that actually is deliberate and in the first act of this show which for me was really the first six episodes i knew that in those first six episodes I wanted the music and sound design to be treating Joe as though he is very much the hero of this story and getting the audience as close as possible to experiencing all of these scenarios really through Joe's eyes. And then later on in the series, we can start questioning him. We can start rolling back. But at this moment, you are Joe Loya. You're right there with him. And I just tried to I tried to think about the fact that when you're going through a, a traumatic episode or the most heightened moments of your life, I think you find that you remember odd details, like weird things will, will linger that don't necessarily have to do with the wider trauma. So a lot of the sound design, there is like an obvious siren in there, but I also had, um, there's this little electrical, like kind of uh, something from a, a, an ultraviolet light that's kind of just hissing and popping hmm. throughout it. Hmm. And I just imagine that he's in this interrogation room being kind of dragged to this interrogation room and he's constantly hearing this hissing and popping of a light while he's being interrogated hmm. and while he's being pressured. The sonic equivalent of like one of those bare light bulbs kind of hanging, like the, the buzz of a fluorescent light or something yes. like that, yeah. Yes, and, and it's really kind of agitating to the ear as I imagine that it adds to the, the tension. Mm -hmm. I also wanted like buried in the track, I wanted the sound of police officers in the next room there in there too, but I like the idea that they're joking around. Hmm. Um, I remember being in a police station earlier in my life, and I remember that happening. And it was just hmm. very odd that we were having this very intense conversation. But in the next room, I heard people laughing as though this, right. this intensity had nothing to do with, you know, it didn't matter. Like they were just having fun. They're around the water cooler joking around. And I remember hearing those elements uh, as I was listening to it. Uh, you know, as the the final mix and thinking like it was very unnerving to me yeah. listening to it, you know, because it was <laughs> it was sort of like um, counter to what the mood of the room was, but in a way that felt almost like uh, imposing. Right. Exactly. Like, I mean, what's what's scarier to you is, you know, like a police officer who's really, really attempting to intimidate you. I, I would find it more frightening if he just has a band of people in the next room who are laughing that's scarier to me than if they just don't you know, care about you. They, they just, just don't, don't care, care about you. Yeah. You're nothing. And whether or not you really did this is irrelevant. Um, then in terms of the music, the main thing that happened in this scene for me is this is where Joe discovers that he has the power 
to, in my opinion, rob banks down right. the line. This is when he discovered, I, I just stabbed my father. I have this thing inside of me that I can do that very, very few people can do. Mm -hmm. So I thought a lot about Joe's physicality and Joe's inner life when I was writing the music, like what did his heart feel like, his stomach, like his pulse. There's a sound in there that I love, um, which is also a sound that's probably unnerving you. I tried to imagine how do I make a sound that sounds like nausea hmm. and like this bubbling rage. And I wrote this rage theme that we used in the trailer and we use it throughout the show, which is kind of like this sort of cauldron of like bubbling lava and sounds. Right. I thought, since this is the origin of his rage, I'll grab a piece of that. And it sort of sounds like a stomach kind of tightening and getting nervous and mm. stressed. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats for literally three minutes of this sequence. That sound is running and getting gradually louder in, in the mix. And to me, that's like the, the beginning of his rage. And it also increases the stress. So it made sense to me to grab that rage theme, chop it up, build it up throughout this sequence. Yeah, you can feel you feel the tension building across the segment for sure. And then I, I think that it's very effective. I mean, this was this very important moment in Joe's life. I agree where he went from being this abused kid, you know, picked on kid, a victim to someone who has the power to make other people victims. Right. And even like, you know, later in the story, when he talks about, you know, trials and tribulations that he faced in prison or even after prison, like this is a story that, that for him is foundational. I stabbed my dad. I can do anything. If I can do that, I can do what am, what do I have to be scared of? Right. You know, and and I do think like like you guys should go back and. Yeah, you people listening to this, you guys should go back and just kind of listen to the scene again because I think like you can start to hear these different elements that Dan's talking about and how they do sort of like come together to create both like this this moment of of tension, but also kind of epiphany. Definitely. In a way. And then in act two of this show, we're really launching into uh Joe's just kind of mad rain across California, Southern California. And that's how, I mean, I, I, this is how, like, when we talk about the show, I mean, that's kind of how we talk about it. Like, episode one is kind of a prologue for the whole series. Uh, act one is sort of Joe as a kid. What went into making the bank robber is episodes two through six uh, culminates with him stabbing his dad. And then episodes seven through 12, I think, are act two of the show, which is all about him being a bank robber, all about him victimizing people, getting into prison, becoming, you know, a badass, badass prison Joe. 
getting shipped into solitary and then really losing his mind in solitary. Like to me, the, the climax of act two is him losing his mind, uh, in episode 12. Uh, and then act three of the show is sort of like Joe becoming the new Joe. And that's episodes 13, 14, 15. Um, so when you first got this show, cause you kind of came into the process a bit later than other people who were working on this, uh, you know, with the specific idea of creating the overall, uh, sound and music and sound sound design of the show like like how do you even approach a subject like that like joe how did you dive into this story like what was it what was the first thing you did when you started uh you know when you started working on this i mean it's it's kind of a lame thing the the first thing that <laughs> it, or it's, it's kind of a lame answer I, I guess i started asking myself the question how do i personally feel about joe Hmm. And I needed to understand, do I have enough in common with this man that I that it's appropriate for me to pull upon personal experiences of mine when writing the music? Or do I need to be completely objective observing him? So am I going to tangle with this person and get into a relationship with him musically? Or am I going to stay totally objective? And the other thing, frankly, that I had to think about was this is a 15 episode arc and that's a long show. Right. This is a character study, period. Like, mm -hmm. that's what the show is. I, I think when you make a character study, what you have to think about is like, what is the audience's experience of this show supposed to be? And in a character study, like the audience's reaction to the character is kind of like the punchline to the show. And that meant there it is okay for us to present moments in this show where the person that is talking is bad and is wrong and the music is presenting it as though it's not bad hmm. and it's okay so something that i decided early on because i want the audience to be attached to joe and at his hip particularly in the early episodes we're really advocating for him the music is backing him up now that changes later we can get to that but at first the music is backing him up and i'm bigging him up and making him larger and you're supposed to be identifying with him joe is the only person in the show who gets sound design no no one else in the show gets sound design other what do you, people get what do you mean by that what's the difference so when i'm scoring a scene i will i guess you could call them like hallucinogenic reenactments i guess like i'll make sort of fucked up versions of the atmosphere that joe is existing in so when he's describing a bank robbery i'll bring you into a bank when he's in an interrogation room i will bring you there when he's biting someone's ear off you will hear the sound of the struggle um to get you closer to joe it's not necessarily to make those sequences sound cool it's to get you closer to him but because he's sort of in charge of the show deliberately it, it, for me in the first six episodes, he's the only one who gets sound design. There's only one other moment in the show that, that someone else gets sound design. We could talk about that maybe later. Um, so I, I basically thought about what instrument do I give to Joe and um, what is his natural theme going to be? And I came up with this four note sequence, which is just four notes from a minor sequence. That's it. So this is the, we'll just play a little bit of that. Here's the, this is, what, what do you call this piece? Joe's theme? Yeah, yeah.
So that's Joe. What were some of the other characters and their themes in the show? So I, I thought about giving them themes, but the main thing that I wanted to do was that each character be represented by an instrument. With Paul, Joe's brother, it just seemed very appropriate that he be introduced and constantly scored with an acoustic guitar. And the reason for that is very simply that he talks often about playing the guitar for Joe um, and that Joe encouraged him to keep learning how to play the acoustic guitar. So although it was a little bit on the nose and I went back and forth, (laughs) it's like... It just keeps working every time I play a guitar. Sometimes on the nose is just fine. Sometimes it's just fine, you know. We'll say that so I don't feel bad about myself (laughs) for my obvious decision. So let's say this is uh, Paul's theme. Okay, so Joe had a theme, Paul had a theme, who else had a theme? Um, the one that was tricky was Brenda. Right. Brenda's Joe's stepmom when he was going through sort of the worst period of abuse by his dad. Yeah, and the thing that was interesting about Brenda is you might assume that Brenda's voice, she was an older woman, she spoke very, very quietly when I first heard the tape, and I was a little bit nervous about whether or not she was going to be able to be able to withstand enough music you know some people just have a speaking voice where you can't put a lot of music behind them they just get swallowed it becomes unlistenable um and i didn't find that to be the case there is something about her tone and sort of the magic of scoring for podcasts she was just so self-assured even though she wasn't speaking very loudly that there was you could put quite a large synthesizer and kick underneath her but brenda to me is represented by a piano I very specifically didn't put any effects on that piano. So a lot of the music in this show has distortion, just various, various effects where the sounds are really fraught and tortured and beat up because it's a lot of damaged people we're talking about. But Brenda, as a figure, didn't really want anything to do with all of that. And I think that it hurts Joe that that's the case, that that she sort of walked away, maybe in his eyes prematurely, that... Mm -hmm. You know, he sort of wishes that she would handle a little bit more, maybe get into this dirt, get into this griminess, but she doesn't. And so for me, I put Brenda as just an unaffected piano because she's sort of floating above all of this violence. You know, she just kind of doesn't really want to be a part of it and she wants out. How did you, um, how did you decide to leave? 
Um, we were on our way home from work one day. Um, my husband picked me up. We carpooled together. And I'd gotten a call from Paul's teacher that he had failed a spelling test. And I told his father on the way home. And he got explosively angry over a spelling test. He pulled the car over, turned sideways in his seat, and started kicking me. I opened the door of the car and got out, which he was kicking me out of the car. He wanted me out of the car. And then he drove off. And I was in an industrial area, bad part of town, and it was getting dark. And there I was. Um, I found a phone booth. And I called a cab and I got home. And when I got home, I knocked on the door. No one came to the door. I, I had to knock a lot. Finally, my husband opened the door with one hand. He was sweating. He was disheveled. And his other hand was around Paul's throat. And Paul was bleeding from the nose and from the mouth. And I think that was the first time I ever got physical with my husband. It was just a shocking thing. And I just jumped in the middle and started flailing. And I think it scared him. It certainly surprised him. And he, he left the apartment, and I tended to Paul. Paul said, Bryn, please, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. Yeah, it's, it's, I remember when I interviewed her, she felt like someone who had thought for a long time about what had happened to her, had really uh, worked through it, over the years, you know, I, I don't know, I would imagine in therapy, talking with people, just really, she had spent a lot of time with her trauma and she had expended a lot of energy at trying to uh, get beyond it, get past it, you know, and she did have this kind of quiet confidence uh, when she spoke that really, it, it really affected me when I interviewed her for sure. And I think the thing that also affected me by it is that there are a lot of moments of people saying, uh, I've gotten over this in this show. To various extents, Joe says it. To various extents, Paul says it. And it, this is no criticism to those people who I, I, you know, I admire their stories, but I don't believe them. Hmm. Uh, Bre Brenda, I believed. I, I really did believe that Brenda had moved on from this. And Well, it's interesting. It, you know, like, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with the people, the various people in the show, and I do think that they're all beyond it in a way. Um, but they've also, like Joe, Paul, Joe Sr. as well, they've, they've made it a part of who they are. So it's not, it's not even really a question of, like, getting beyond it. It's just a, it's more, they've sort of... They've, they've all changed and they've all become much different people, but their trauma is still a very, very important part of the people that they are now. Sure. Maybe it's a larger part of their identity, perhaps, yeah. than, than, than for Brenda. Yeah. Uh, but another, another issue of this is, and maybe this goes into 
to how we produce this show, I didn't have a lot of personal interaction with Joe, um, which was another thing that was odd, was I really had to sort of psychoanalyze this man. Um, and it's not because you, you deliberately kept, you know, space between us or anything like that. Uh, it, unless it, it, you it, actually it, did. It is, is that because, what happened? it is because we keep you in the producing dungeon at Western Sound where all producers right. go while they're working on shows and aren't allowed out. Right, but you typically let me out for an ice cream cone like once a week, and I'm happy to have that ice cream cone. <laughs> oh, the olden days when you got to get, leave your dungeon and go have an ice cream cone. Those yeah, are the it, days. It took me a month to realize that there was a shelter-in-place order. The only reason I, <laughs> I didn't know is because I wasn't getting my ice cream cone. That's really funny. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Joe. Let's uh, uh, talk about how Joe evolves as a character over the show and how the sound, his sound kind of evolves over the course of the show i want to play a scene and this is from uh deep into act two this is episode 11 when joe is talking about being in prison and just kind of all the crazy things that happen uh when he's in prison i saw things i didn't expect to see i mean stuff that you would see on tv and things like that's impossible like i saw a guy get lit on fire in his cell And I could see it from my window. It was late at night, and he just went up. His hair went up, and he was screaming in the cell. And then the cell next to him, it went up, but the guy wasn't on fire. It was just parts of his bed were on fire. And then the third cell next to us, some guy had been in there squirting acetone in the cells at night when they were sleeping, and the guy was walking down the tier, and he just lit them on fire. I remember watching that and thinking... Shit, that could happen here too. <laughs> I know stabbing's gonna happen. I know you get choked out. I know somebody could come and strangle you with a with a with a sheet, turn it into a rope. I know a bunch of things can happen here and there. And I'm finally watching this and I'm like, shit, they could light you on fire too. God damn. But it was and it was dark and it was beautiful night out. It was clear. And that cell just lit up. God, that screaming. I remember hearing that screaming the first time I heard it. It just like made chills. I think I still have chills on my arms that the screaming of the man getting lit on fire. This is an important scene for Joe uh, as he's sort of becoming this terrible person and kind of descending into even, you know, into his prison persona. Uh, what did you hear in this scene? And then how did you create this scene sonically? This was a pretty tricky part of the production for me you know you mentioned when you when you opened up this clip like we're talking about joe's arc and how joe is changing but i was also trying to think about again this is a 15 episode arc like how is the podcast changing is more how i thought about this scene because there's a ver like let's let's imagine if we were telling this story in episode one uh or in episode two when we're really kind of we're still on joe's side right we Joe, as he speaks, when he's telling this story, um, I actually voiced this conflict to Cameron Kell. You can introduce what oh, Cameron, Cameron did. Yeah, Cameron Kell's one of the other producers at Western Town. He was a lead producer uh, on, on this story. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I kind of came to him and, and I just said, hey, man, do you feel do you feel weird about how Joe is talking about this man being set on fire? And he's like, well, yeah, he's laughing. Right, he's laughing. He's seeing this terrible thing happen, and he's laughing. Yeah, he's laughing. Um, 
And so I, I, if we were presenting this in the first episode, when we were still, quote unquote, on Joe's side, I perhaps would have presented this moment sort of like making it cool, right? Or making it kind of grimy and kind of like, hey, we're in it, man. We're having fun here. Like, this right. is nuts, you know? We're in the action movie. Holy shit, a dude got set on fire. Fuck me. And really agreeing with Joe. This is the last moment in the show where the music is on Joe's side. The mm. music leaves him behind here. So I wanted to leave this sort of carousel bouncing synthesizer underneath it and be like, you know, that's sort of a pleasant line. And what makes that horrifying is that screaming synthesizer, the sound of the flames and this man screaming. I wanted to like make the show feel this juxtaposition between the pleasantness and the lightheartedness with which Joe is talking about this and the horror of what actually occurred. And that's it. Like the music, as we enter into solitary, as we go down, the music leaves him behind. So this is a very important moment musically, uh, I think, because the, the show has now changed shape. So let's go uh, skip straight ahead to uh, episode 12. This is Joe in solitary losing his mind, and we can hear how the music is different now. Was the den always there? No, no, I was always there. I was always there. Stayed there. I was like, oh, shit. One day I was at my desk and I hear Joe and I turn around. Joe. And I thought it was in my cell, man. I could have sworn it was like a guard or something. Like, it was shocking. The first time I thought maybe a homeboy was fucking with me or something. I didn't have a homeboy, but I mean, I thought maybe someone was fucking me. And then so I used to play concentration games where I would look at one spot on the wall. And if you look at one spot on the wall long enough, yeah, it's hard on your eyes. Your eyes want to move. And you know, it was challenging five minutes the first time. I eventually got up to an hour. And like, oh, psychedelic shit starts happening around that one spot. And eventually, because the world is moving and your eyes are moving, nothing is still and your eyes move. And so that spot will start moving. And so it was like, oh shit, it's moving. And I'm watching it move. And then it became a horse galloping. And then the, it became, I was like, oh fuck, something's happening. It's kind of cool. But what ended up happening is when, one day I'm looking at that spot and then all of a sudden it was a face. And it morphed into another face. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like that Michael Jackson video, you know? Where like everyone's faces are morphing. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And I, and I was like, all right, well, I want to stop now. It's been an hour and I go to move away. And I still see it moving. I'm like, oh shit. And I close my eyes and it's gone. I was like, oh, fuck. That's crazy. It wasn't where I was looking. It ended up migrating over here to where I looked over here. Like it was in my vision now. It took over my vision. I was like, wow, that's crazy. So the next day I do it again. Except this time when I pull away, it's showing again. I close my eyes and it's in my it's in the darkness of my head, in my eyes. I was like, oh fuck. The din is getting louder and now I can kind of it feels like there's voices. But I, you can't make them out, but now instead of like it's like, 
I get more animated, right? I mean, there's just so much happening in there. It's kind of amazing. You're like, I, I felt like really inside of Joe's head as he's losing his mind. And like, first of all, the, the music underneath it is a banger. Like, it's just a great, it's just a great track. <laughs> it's very propulsive and just like really good. Uh, and then you have all the different layers of different sounds. Like, so I want to ask you two things. Like, first of all, like the music's not on his side there. You were saying before, what does it mean that the music's not on his side in this one? The way that I wanted to approach this is almost like the 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 universe is sort of enjoying punishing him, and I imagine this. Um, I imagine this as a trip that goes bad about midway through. So I, I think that in some like a, way, like a psychedelic trip, you mean? I, I think so. I don't have a ton of experience with that limited experience, but uh, I, I know that switch from oh, this is going very well. This feels really good. It feels like I'm having fun with this. To oh no, I've taken a wrong turn here. Yeah, totally. Which can also happen with prolonged meditation, which is essentially yeah, yeah. what he's doing. Um, and so the music, I guess it's sort of a, a misnomer. The music is kind of like, <laughs> it. I imagine the music like, yeah, I'm on your side here. We're having a lot of fun. This is a lot of like, this is great. But it's all to like hit him afterwards. You know, right. it, it, the music is kind of being manipulative at this moment, but it's it's against Joe it's not in, in pumping him up anymore. It's kind of um, creating an atmosphere that he's fighting against Correct. rather than working with. Correct. It's antagonizing him. Um, and then once it switches and we get into that cacophony, it's obviously a lot more unpleasant. I think that when a person is having a trip or a dream, the things that they see, in my opinion, like has some sort of representation to their real life. So it's not as arbitrary mm -hmm. as they think that it is. It right. does have some meaning. So I'll just give you one example of that. When Joe says, oh, I saw this horse galloping. Um, what I put is the sound effect of him and his brother running away after stabbing his father. It's the same. Oh, wow. It's the same sound effect. Oh, wow. So again, like, I don't want to behave arbitrarily like everything that's in everything that's in there has an emotional reason for being there. I mean, all of the voices of people saying Joe are other moments in the show where people are talking about Joe. And I chose a Joe from each of them when they were saying a sentence that was critical of them. Oh, um, interesting. So it was critical of Joe. You mean. It was critical of Joe. So it's like all these voices turn against him. But the last thing that we hear is the sound of the Silmar earthquake and that female vocal that comes back throughout the show, which is just representative of his mother. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at the, the very core of this story is Joe's mother. I, I just right. couldn't escape it. And so that, that was the last sound in there that we hear before his trip ends. Yeah, amazing. So uh, earlier you talked about um, how Joe is the only person in the show who got sound design around uh, their scenes, except there's, there was one exception to that. And that is, uh, the female teller that we interviewed who was robbed by Joe. And this is from episode eight. So I want to play just a little bit of this segment. I do remember telling the FBI, why did he tell me he was coming back to get me? And they said, they say that to scare you. So you forget. <laughs> 
You forget what they look like. They forget you forget what any details, what they told you, the whole incident just tries to scare you. And I go, oh, okay. So when I left at two o'clock that afternoon, I walked out of the building by myself. Nobody walked me to my car. And that's when I started freaking out because I didn't feel safe. And I thought he was out there waiting for me. Even though they tried to assure me, I was just, I ran to my car and started crying. Yeah. Because I thought he was out there. Yeah, he scared me. How long, how long did that stay with you? Probably about six to eight weeks. I couldn't drive at night or to school. My parents had to pick me up from college. Um, if I had a night class, um, I had nightmares. Uh, we lived in a two-story house, had some big windows, and I would dream or wake up that he was just, if I looked out the window, he'd be standing there on the sidewalk. Um, those types of things, yeah, for about two months. I never forgot his face. So definitely a chilling moment for the teller. And I can understand why you wanted to kind of to bring that out more. But tell tell me, what were you thinking when you're like, okay, this is the one place, the one story in the show besides Joe that gets sound design. Why did you make that decision? Um, One of the things that was a real joy about like making this show was just kind of getting the episodes as you as you all were producing them and when I listened to this one I was pretty shocked at the storytelling decision that we were that Cameron and yourself were making and when I heard Joe weep for for the first time right at the hearing of this story it seemed like because the the male teller that he listens to he's he's affected by that but very much still has his bravado and his presence. It isn't really until he hears this story that Joe starts getting genuinely shaken off of his game. I liked the idea that as the podcast is turning the tables on Joe, we give this victim the same measure of respect that we've given to him. Like her pain is just as valid as his pain, you know, Um, and presenting it in the same way that I would present Joe's pain seemed like the appropriate moment to do that. And then you'll notice that after that, I leave Joe in silence for four minutes. Like, he just has to deal with the consequences of what he's done. He doesn't get any help from music um, or sound design. Yeah, I thought it was a really, a really, I mean, of a show filled with magical moments, I thought that this was definitely one of the most magical ones. Hearing uh, this, Hearing these stories from both the tellers, really, I was surprised interviewing them you know, first we located them and then we called them on the phone to see if they wanted to be interviewed. And when we talked to both of them on the phone, it was very like, very breezy, very like, oh yeah, that thing that happened, you know, many, many years ago, decades ago. Yeah, sure. I'll talk to you guys about that. And then when we actually got them, you know, got in the room and started talking to them about it, um, both of them, you could see all the emotions start coming back. You could see the, the, the legacy of that trauma really rising in them. And it was, it was powerful to watch and then equally powerful to talk about with Joe and seeing the emotion come in, you know, the emotions that he had over it. Like it was clear that it was, you know, we, we had talked at various points about how hard, how this was, Telling the story is hard for him. Telling these stories can be hard. 
But you hear when he's when he's telling the stories, he's very giving a quite a performance. And it was one of the few places where I felt like he was like you were saying, like not in control of his performance. And it was a super just genuine emotional reaction of just, you know, despair and guilt and shame. Yeah. There's one moment when I was listening to it, the moment where, you know, part of being like a, a sound designer is you also want to live up to to good tape. You know, you hear something that's really beautiful and I'm like, oh, no, I, I need to give something back to Cameron and Ben that like lives up to this episode that they made. <laughs> um, but there was a moment that really frightened me um, to, to would I be able to do something that was worthwhile of it? I love it. This in the tape when Joe says he starts like kind of weeping a bit. And, and I think I hear him like rub his face or his hat. And he just says this. He says, this is terrible, man. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to be feeling what he's feeling and even more so than the uh the crying that's what really made me understand that this was a person who really was not having a good time with what was going on inside yeah. of them. It was a it was definitely a, a sh an episode that was filled with some very intense emotions I think for everybody who participated in it including me. <laughs> Um, th so there's one other uh, scene that I want to just kind of take us out with, which I think is one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole podcast. And this is uh, the scene where Joe first talks about in episode two, where Joe talks about his mother dying and, you know, starts with his mother getting sick and his memories of her being sick uh, and then finishes with the, the funeral and the wake and the Silmar earthquake. To me, it's just one of the most, again, like just a super magical moment. Uh, I think we can let this scene take us out. Uh, so is there anything that you want to say in introducing it? Um, I, I guess I would just say briefly that like, you know, I suppose there's some debate about the show of like whether or not Joe is redeemed and whether or not, you know, uh, he's, he's sort of reformed. And I, this is also probably one of my favorite moments in the show because, you know, I, I have a lot of ambiguous feelings about Joe, but the one thing that I do know is that the death of his mother genuinely destroyed this man. He loves his mother so, so much. Um, yeah, and the only thing that... that it, it didn't work until I had... Everything was in there. All the music was in there. And it wouldn't work... There's one synthesizer that you will hear that's screaming one note that's like a pitch bend. And that's me getting super frustrated because nothing was working. So I was just holding one key and I didn't intend to bend the note at all. Um, but I was just getting so angry that it wasn't sounding... As, it, it didn't feel painful enough that I just started like bending the synthesizer's pitch up as I was listening to Joe talk about his pain. Um, and then suddenly it worked and, and that's what you'll hear here. Oh, that's amazing. So it is like kind of a, an accident that led to a thing of just real beauty. That's amazing. Here it is. This is, uh, the summer earthquake scene. So on February 4th, my mother passed away around three o'clock, apparently Thursday afternoon on the dialysis table, heart attack, February 8th, the night before the funeral, my dad decides that he's going to stay at his house. He's going to pray in the morning. My answer said, don't worry, Joe, we'll, we'll, we'll take the boys. 1971, February 9th, in that morning, I'm asleep, and I start hearing, like, I'm like, what the hell is that noise? Rattling. 
and the window's vibrating, and they're all kind of, everything on there is moving. And they jump up, my aunts are screaming, earthquake! 6.01 in the morning, there's Silmar earthquake hits. And it hits hard, and it's rocking and rolling. It, there's, it's going so hard and so long that they jump up. That my aunt takes me under the, the kitchen table. My other aunt takes my, my brother under the door. And then my aunt scolds my aunt, who's taking me under the table. Get over here. Like, we're able to run around. And a mirror, I think, fell and collapsed. Like it's just like it's stuff's falling off the windowsills. It was a big earthquake. And I remember thinking about that. Like, there's a Bible story where... Uh, the angels came and they fought for Moses' bones and they took Moses' bones to heaven, which is kind of a weird story nonetheless. I liked believing that maybe the raucous rumblings on the planet was some spiritual beings came and just dragged my mother's body off the ground. So you're going to heaven with us, man. Come on, right now. You now I added that spiritual, mystical component to it. Because we were grieving a lot of pain that day and we had this physical like shock to our system um, that was also uh, while we were having an emotional shock to our system and roiling inside literally the planet was you know around this was roiling too so it was um, it's the stuff of mysticism Dan, thanks so much for coming in and talking about the sound design of the show. It really was just uh, so beautiful and such an honor to work with you on this. I really felt that you took the show to a whole new level uh, beyond what the storytelling alone could do. So um, I'm in awe and I hope you guys out there uh, listening got uh, something out of this conversation too. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Ben. So again, this is the score from Western Sound and ACAST Studios. Uh, we may come back with some more bonus episodes. Not quite sure yet. Uh, we've got a lot of other shows happening, including one called Pandemic Check-In that you can check out if you're interested in checking in on your mental health during this pandemic. Uh, you can call in and share with us what's been on your mind lately. You can lay down your own worries or just share how you've been coping during this outbreak. I'm Ben Adair, and this has been The Score, The Bank Robber Diaries from ACAST Studios and Western Sound. Thanks for listening.